Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. It is proven that when you get hugged, happy endorphins are released. So this crowd just got a lot happier. I, um, uh, I, I'm a hugger. I love uh, giving somebody a good hug. Uh, I get tested every Friday in our lease. We have to get tested uh, for COVID to make sure we don't have it because we have our masks off and uh, that's in our lease uh, requirement here. So I get tested every Friday. So I hug very confidently because I know I don't have it. Um, and if you have it, you know, it's cool. I still want to hug you. Um, how's everybody doing? Come on. Uh, if you're brand new, uh, I am Tyler, the pastor here. We're in the middle of the series titled Knowing God. We say Knowing God. It was birthed out of this thought throughout scripture. There is this pursuit from God. Even in Hosea, he pleads, says, oh, I wish that you would know me. Hosea 4, 6 even says that those, um, that the people of God perish for a lack of knowledge. Oh, it says in Daniel that those who know God have an energy for God. The more you get to know God, you have a passion. And so the first 10 chapters we just covered, it was fun. A lot of fun signs. Jesus went to a wedding and he uh, turned the water into wine. Uh, and we touch some buttons, maybe for some people to think that's alcohol evil. Jesus doesn't think alcohol is evil. Uh, I'll show you in scripture, okay? Uh, he thinks being drunk is evil though. So you can turn it up, but not all the way up. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, talked about that miracle, that miraculous sign. Talked about Jesus um, healing a blind man. Talked about Jesus taking some fish and some loaves and multiplying and feeding thousands. Jesus walking on water. Ooh, I mean, just too many miracles, uh, miraculous signs to count. Well, this is the last miraculous sign in the gospel of John before his death on the cross. And it's a doozy. He's going out with a bang. He's gonna raise a dead guy. His name is Lazarus. It's funny about the story too, is when Jesus raises Lazarus, the religious people uh, start a committee on how to kill Jesus. I don't know about you, but if somebody gets raised from the dead, I'm not starting a committee, I'm baking a cake, you know? But man, just religious people don't know how to celebrate new things. They love old things. And in today's message, I'm praying that you're ready to hear something new, that you're ready to say yes to something new. Because Jesus' plan for your life, oh, it's, it's not what you know of. Oh, there is, there is more to it. I, uh, I titled my message, From Confusion to Clarity. From Confusion to Clarity. That's gonna make sense in just a second. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for what you did on the cross. I thank you that uh, there is no confusion on if you love your people. Your word shows that you loved us, so you sent your only son. You loved us when we didn't love you. And not only that, you were faithful to fulfill your promise on the cross. Oh, today we celebrate Palm Sunday. Lord, that you are faithful to um, come to Jerusalem on a donkey's colt, knowing that you really were a week before your own death. Oh, Lord, I pray right now my words will fall to the floor and your words will soar. And everybody said... Amen, amen, amen. Okay, so from confusion to clarity, it's gonna make sense in just a second. So President Biden gave me $2,800 last week, okay? Anybody else get hooked up from the president? Who got their money already? Come on now. Did you get money? Did you tithe with it yet? I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. I saw pastors like, okay, here's what you do with your stimulus. Number thing, first thing, you gotta tithe with it. Second one, invest. I'm like, oh my gosh, turn this guy off. Um, so I got, my, uh, I got our stimulus uh, from President Biden and we went to go buy backyard furniture, okay? We wanna have some Adirondack chairs and uh, a fire pit. Found out fire pits are basically all $2,800 that Biden sent us. 
And so I, I called President Biden. I was like, hello, I need a little more on that stimulus. I want more uh, fire pit. Uh, so anyways, so uh, we went and uh, got creative. So we started calling around for Adirondack chairs. And so I called Ace Hardware. And so I called Ace Hardware, and I remember just calling, hey, do you guys have any Adirondack chairs? And the guy goes, what? And I was like, Adirondack chairs, like, you know, for that backyard. Oh, let me transfer you to the outdoor section. You know, person, uh, patio, uh, gardening. Yeah, do you guys have any Adirondack chairs? Add a what? Uh, maybe was, and then I was like, question myself, did I not say it right? Adirondack chairs, maybe? And the guy was like, what? Ergonomic chairs? And I was like, do you have a manager or anything like that? And he's like, yeah. I was, like, I was basically like, put daddy on the phone. You know what I'm saying? He's like, I, I mean, who, who let you in the patio section? Um, so the manager gets on the phone. And he's like, yeah, hi, this is the manager. Yeah, do you guys have any Adirondack chairs? No, just for uh, the record, this is an Adirondack chair right there, okay? I'll go back. That's the Mission Church. That's an Adirondack chair, okay? And the manager goes, oh, yeah, let me check. We usually have those on in the spring. Let me go take a look at our chairs. He goes, no, we almost have one. It's almost like one. Maybe you'd want it. They're uh, $5.99. They're plastic. Anything $5.99 plastic, that's not, no. I was like, oh, I'm rich. I got a stimulus in my pocket, man. I'm out, you know? And so uh, I remember, like, just uh, going, oh, my gosh. Like, all I want to know is the Adirondack chair. So then we decided to go to Ashley Furniture. Again, it was only 2800 bucks. We couldn't go to our, our restoration hardware, okay? Um, so RH, you can get maybe, like, uh, maybe like half a chair there uh, for $2,800. So we go to Ashley Furniture. We walk in, and this is all I ask. Where's the patio section? Patio section? I looked at Rachel, and I was like, what is going on? She's like... I feel like we're in a movie or like I'm on like a hidden camera show, like a boiling point, you know? And I was like, patio, you know, like the outdoor section. Uh, uh, huh? And this guy, his name was Mike, he's like, we got a patio section, follow me over here, you know? And so follows me over the patio section, goes, hey, here's our outdoor thing. We haven't got a ton of stuff in. And um, we looked at some of the stuff, Ashley Furniture. Um, a lot of my first furniture was from Ashley Furniture. Everything in the store is 50% off. Uh, you can find some gems in there, but be careful. You know what I'm saying? Just be careful. Uh, so we didn't buy anything there. And I remember walking out and I was telling Rachel, like, what kind of manager hires somebody at Ace Hardware, puts them in the patio section, and they don't even know, like, all patio stuff? And don't get me wrong, it's not the easiest chair, Adirondack chairs, you know? Like, and then we started laughing about Adirondack chairs. Like, you know, like, it's the weirdest name for a chair. Like, you have dining room chairs, you have stools, you know, you have pews. And then one day they're like, let's call this Adirondack. You know, it's like the weirdest name. So I want to have a little bit of grace, like, but who, what manager would put somebody in the patio section that doesn't know about what kind of chairs you could have on a patio? I, was, I would never hire somebody like that. And then, uh, and then uh, we were at Ashley Furniture. I'm, I'm going to tell you, Rachel's more gracious than I am. We go to Ashley, I'm like, who would hire somebody to be the greeter and not know you have patio furniture in your store? Like, do you not walk around your store? Like, what kind of manager doesn't go, hey, let's take a walk real quick. This is called a couch. We're going to call this the living room section. Okay, okay, living room section. Okay, okay, follow me over here. These are called beds, okay? This is going to be the bed section. Okay, okay, right here. This is the patio section. This is where you sit outside and entertain. Okay, okay, okay. You would think the manager would walk this guy around first day, and then at the beginning, you're like, patio. Oh, yeah, it's right there next to the beds. That's where you lay down. You would think. No, confusion. None of them got my money. I went on Amazon. Patio, Amazon. Yes, please. We got patio for you. Catch this real quick. And then I started processing church. And I was like, man, what kind of pastor allows people to come to church? And for years, they're still so confused on who Jesus is. Let, let, me, let me put it this way for you. 240 million people in America say they're Christians. But if you came up to them and asked them, hey, where do I find peace? Oh, you, just, you know, your aura. Be good. But I thought you were a Christian. I am. Now you ain't no Christian. Uh... Can I go on my own journey? I'm gonna go on my own journey with you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a little vulnerable with you. I w did not grow up in church. I thought all of you were weirdos. 
Can I say it that way? I thought y'all was judgmental too. All of the above. I was a hater of the church before I got saved. And I believe in the, in, in the U.S., there's three types of people. Forgive me, generalizations aren't perfect, but I, I believe this merits the generalization. You have haters of Jesus, you got users of Jesus, and you got lovers of Jesus. And I started out as a hater. I hated the church, hated all the rules, hated the worship. Oh, the Bible, boring. But the Jesus guy I was kind of down with because, you know, I didn't want to go to hell. And so I just, this, this is how I processed Jesus. And then I got to know about Jesus, and then I became a user of Jesus. On my hard days, I wanted Jesus. I, I wanted Jesus to help me win sporting games. I wanted him to help me make the varsity team my sophomore year. Oh, Jesus, I pray I practice real. Help me make baskets today, Jesus. Oh, I, I used Jesus for a long time. And then eventually I became a lover of Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. I love his mission. I love his word. I love to worship. I love his bride. Oh, I love the church. I'm gonna tell you something real quick. The church is one of the most painful places to get planted, but it's the best place to get healed also. That's good. Oh, I will not let any man or any woman have me hate his bride. I've been wounded by pastors, wounded by people that come to church. Oh, but I love his church because I'm a lover of Jesus. And what I wanna do in this message today is I wanna bring some clarity to some confusion. Some of you, you may realize there may some be clarity in your life. Wow, I've been a user of Jesus, not a lover of Jesus. Some of you may have been haters and may have become an even bigger hater. I'm praying that doesn't happen, but I'm just trying to keep it real. I get emails, I know what I'm talking about. But I'm praying that all of us become lovers. This is Jesus' prayer uh, for the church in Revelation. He goes, oh, I wish you were either hot or cold, but don't stay in the middle. Wow. Users are the ones in the middle. Don't, don't stay in the middle. Man, either become a lover of Jesus or actually go find out how bad the world is and then you'll fall in love with me. It's basically what he's saying. Let's go to the scripture. Sound good? From confusion to clarity, John 11. Ooh, I'm about to preach. I got 21 minutes. I got a lot of text. 43 verses we're trying to cover tonight. Buckle up. Here we go. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to uh, Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Stop. I just need to bring some clarity about who these people are. This is Jesus' crew. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, you got to understand something. There's only a few disciples and a few people in the Bible that were like on the inner circle of Jesus' life. Like this is the crew that after Jesus went to church, they're going to lunch afterwards every Sunday. This is the crew, 4th of July, what we doing on 4th of July. This is the crew, hey, we having Thanksgiving. I'm Martha's great cook. We're going to Martha's because she cooks a great Thanksgiving meal. Oh, vacation? We go to vacation together. We go to Tahoe together. This is the crew that Jesus is talking about in this scripture. This is what John's trying to show you. Even, I mean, how many people would you describe, hey, the one you love sick? That is a familiar relationship statement. It'd be like you send me a message, hey, your best friend's sick. I know exactly what you're saying. I'd be like, out of three people, I know who it is. But you know what I'm saying. So this is, this is what's happening. Somebody who Jesus loves is sick. I gotta stop right there. A lot of you think that if you are good and Jesus loves you, you'll never have a hard day. It's a lot of early Christian thoughts, to be honest with you, especially when you're a baby Christian. And one of the first things that God brings clarity to is that the one that he loves, he still allows to get sick. Why though? Let's look at the first point, ready? When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Notice for the God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Stop. First point I just wanna say, Jesus brings clarity to the why. 
I uh, shared a few weeks ago, I went through a health thing. I'm fine, I got a little EOE, I'm working through it, I'm gonna be fine, but for the first month, this is why I was going, why God, why? I said yes to you, I gave you my life, I think I've been good, I, you know, what's interesting is, uh, they say the one that Jesus loved is sick. They don't say, hey, the one that goes to church every Sunday is sick, Jesus. The one who's the most obedient is sick, Jesus. Hey, the, the, the nicest one in the group is sick, Jesus. Because some of you think that if you uh, attend enough, if you um, uh, do enough small groups enough, then Jesus would, oh, he's got my back always. I'm never going to taste anything bad. Here's the why. Jesus says right there, it's for my glory. It's for my glory. We make suffering about us. Don't make suffering about you. Make it about your king. And, and let me just say something real quick. And this isn't, this isn't one of those like warm hug answers. This is just Bible, Okay. This is just straight truth. I wrote that. Uh, I can't tell you why all bad things happen, but I can tell you that all bad things that happen can be used for God's glory. Everybody in this room, we're going to talk about Lazarus dying. We all got a Lazarus story. Everybody. I, I pastored for too many years not to know that everybody here has experienced something. I don't think I even have to go into the process of you understanding watching Lazarus as sisters to brothers nursing him to death. I've been in uh, hospital rooms where people are being unplugged. I've been in hospital rooms where people are dying. It's, it's, it's not the place you want to be and it makes you question things. Why God, why? And the answer that God gives is this is going to be used for my glory. Whatever you've been through, man, leverage it for God's glory. Does that sound good? Let's keep going. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. I'm confused. Let's bring confusion to clarity. Hold on a second. You just heard, Jesus, that Lazarus is sick and he's going to die. Don't you think that this is your homie? This is your church crew. This is who you vacation with. This is who you went over to Martha's house and had dinner with. This is Lazarus. You love Lazarus. Lazarus sick, got to go, and I'm out. That's what I would do if I heard one of my best friends. I, yo, I would drop a mic and I would leave. Jesus stays two days. This is free. I'm just going to give it to you real quick. Uh, Joe preached an amazing message on waiting on the Lord a few weeks ago. So I'm not going to talk a lot about waiting, but I'm just going to give you a little, I'm going to give you a little, little bit of, it, uh, of my, my process on this. I married Rachel for nine years. Uh, if, you know, I didn't, if you're new, Rachel was a girl in the middle singing God a Revival. My baby girl killed it today. Come on now. Um, I love Rachel. I love her. Nine years, best nine years of my life. Uh, Rachel is hilarious. She makes me laugh. She's my favorite human. I never get sick of her. I just like her around. Quality time is my love language. I just like sitting in a room with Rachel. We aren't saying that. I just like sitting next to her and going like this. That's it. Let's watch Avengers in game. For the hundredth time, just sit there and watch it. I just love quality time with Rachel. I love it. But my girl don't know how to be on time to nothing. She is late to everything. She got a weird clock. I, I have been so mad sometimes where I just go sit in the car and like, she don't care about me. She don't care about the people we're going to see. She is late to everything. Oh, she's always late. So the first five years are just always fights. Just fighting, fighting, fighting. I was like, girl, you, you don't understand what it means to be on time. So what I tell her now is if we're going to leave it, we need to leave it too. I tell her 145. I trigger. And then she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm 15 minutes late. I'm like, no, girl, we on time. I'm going to tell you something real quick. Nine years married to Rachel. I'm never going to change her clock. I have surrendered to Rachel's nature, if I can put it that way. Even says that like men and women are made in the image of God. And I was like, maybe Rachel's more like Jesus than I am. Because when you look at this story, if I could just be honest, I don't hear a lot of testimonies of people. You know what? I got a testimony. God was early again. He was early. 
early to another miracle. Oh, no way, yep, 15 minutes early. Another year early, praise God. No. Can I just give you a little pearl real quick in this thing? Surrender to God's clock. Stop fighting God's clock. Stop trying to rush God. Stop, stop sitting there in your car stewing. Oh God, when are you gonna start going faster? Because you know I want you to go faster. You don't care about me. You don't care about nobody. You don't care about nothing. No, start surrendering to the clock of the kingdom. Lazarus is sick. All right, I'm coming. I know better than you do. I'm coming. I, I need days to go by. There's a reason this. I'm coming. Let's keep going. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. Jesus answered, are, you not, uh, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they will see uh, uh, by, this, uh, by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. So basically, like, hey, we can't go back. Like, they wanted to kill you in that town. And he's like, don't worry, there's light. 12 hours of light. They're like, what are you talking about? We know there's light, but they're trying to kill you in the light. Jesus is basically saying, hey, I got a plan for my life. Jesus has a plan for my life. I'm not going to die any earlier than I'm supposed to. So he's like, hey, I'm in the light. Okay, I'm in the plan of God. When you're in the plan of God, you're in the light. That's what he's saying. Some of you are so afraid of the calendar of God. Man, just trust. He is the author and finisher of your life. Don't be afraid of nothing. There's something to be said about it. He's like, you guys. And they didn't understand it. Of course, confusion again. Uh, after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, it's like the Ace Hardware guys. These are the Ace Hardware guys. They're like, well, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll get better. Put daddy back on the phone. Give me Jesus again. <laughs> so he goes, hey, get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, guys. So he literally just plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Stop. Jesus brings clarity on his love in this moment. I'm gonna read you my quotes, Tyler Johnson's original quote, put it on the screen. Um, labored over this, prayed over this. Is it on the screen? Nope. Jesus brings clarity. Yeah, there you go. The proof that Jesus loves you isn't found in your circumstance, it is found in the cross. I've met way too many Christians that think God doesn't love them because their circumstances are terrible. And I'm gonna submit to you that your circumstance does not expose how much God loves you, but it will expose how much you love God. Wow. Let, let, me, let me say it this way. This will be the moment where there'll be clarity if you are a lover or a user of Jesus. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For children's ministry, Shadrach, Meshach, and a Winnebago. Come on now. Always fun to say. They love God. They will not worship anything else. They get arrested for it. God, I'm the only one worshiping you, and I get arrested? Wow. And now that they get arrested, they get sentenced to death. And this is, this is an amazing thing. They're not complaining about their circumstance. The circumstance explodes, uh, exposes how much they love their God. Yeah. Even if we die, we will not bow to any other God. And they go into the furnace, and they just start a li little dance. Oh, we're in the furnace with Jesus. We're in the furnace with Jesus. You know, maybe a little, little pop and lock or something like that. I don't know, you know. Uh, or maybe they just kept it tight, you know. I don't know. I have no idea how they're dancing, but they're dancing, you know. And they come out of the furnace. A lot of us, if I could just bring some clarity to some confusion, just need to grow up. And what I mean by that is, if you're a parent of a kid and you say no to your kid and you've ever heard a kid say this, my parents don't even love me because they won't give you candy right now? 
Like how fickle of a response is that? But then when God doesn't give us the circumstance we want, we say the same thing to him. Oh, can I bring some clarity again? Oh, the proof of God's love will never be found in your circumstance. Get off that roller coaster. You gotta get off the, the proof is always in the cross. And what's amazing is as you go through circumstances like this, God will leverage it for the kingdom in all the right ways and you'll become a lover of Jesus. And guess what happens to you? You'll start dancing in the fire too. You know what I love about when they start dancing in the fire? They come out of the fire and they didn't smell like smoke, it said. AK, you're gonna be in bad situations and nobody's gonna even know how bad it was because you don't even act like it was bad. You, I know people and I hear their story that they were abused. I, I would have never guessed it because they were in the fire, but Jesus walked them through it and redeemed them and they got no smell of that anymore in their life. Don't get me wrong. If you're in the journey of God still getting that smell off, go through the journey, but don't stay in the fire. He's asking you to come back out. Let's keep going. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, he's like, man, just call me Thomas. Uh, said the rest of his disciples, let us all go that we may die with them. I love that John was like, no, I'm telling your other name is Didymus. Um, <laughs> On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. This is, I just got to give you a little context. Uh, in the Jewish tradition, and just very, very famous legend, very famous at this time, uh, they thought that if um, for three days the spirit would hover, and so for those three days you had a chance to raise somebody from the dead. So Jesus got rid of this. He, he didn't want to show up during the superstition time. He's like, I'm going to let superstition go by, and you guys think now all hope is lost because your superstition is now lost. I'm going to come on the fourth day. Maybe, just can I submit you real quick? Maybe why Jesus hasn't moved in your life yet is because he's not gonna move in your superstition. Well, if I do good, I'll get good. Stop trying to do good to get good and just start falling in love with God. Stop trying to live superstitious Christianity and just start falling in love with the Savior, okay? Let's keep going. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Martha and Mary, two totally different people. Martha is, you can relate to her, some of you people in the house. Martha is the stoic Christian. You ever met those Christians had the worst week? How you doing? God's great all the time. And all the time, God is good. But you just lost your job and you literally are sick. How can you, he just, Martha just got them canned answers. She got all the bumper stickers, all the bumper stickers on her car. Jesus speaks right through the bumper sticker answer, by the way. He goes on to say, Jesus answered, I am the resurrection and the life. Woo! It's one of the biggest statements, most famous statements in the Bible. I am the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Next uh, point real quick. Jesus brings clarity to what faith is. Another simple quote I just want to kind of pack it. Faith is not controlling God, but trusting God in his plan. Yeah. A lot of people think, you read the Bible, if I have enough faith, God's going to do exactly what I want him to do. Because the Bible does say it, with faith, that's how we move things. Faith is small as mustard, we can move mountains. You read the Bible as a whole, though. He says, pray that my will would be done and always be answered. Wow. This is a hard one for me because a lot of people will walk away from even movements because they go and get prayed for to be healed and they're not prayed for and they, had, they, they feel like they didn't have enough faith so they feel like they failed. And so therefore it was because they didn't have enough faith and they didn't move God enough to heal them, so now they're mad at God and they will never pray a prayer like that anymore. Can I just be honest with you? Can I just talk as a pastor real quick? And so as I was unpacking this, I, 
I believe that God has an ultimate plan for all of our lives. Paul for sure prayed that the thorn would be removed in his life. I, I have to believe that. And he came to the story like, God, you, you for some reason want me to have this thorn in my side, whatever it is. It makes me weak, I don't enjoy it, but it's a thorn. And some people think it's an illness. Some actually people think it was like demonic torment. There's a lot of ideas. Some people think it was just a bad wife, whatever. I don't wanna talk about it. Thorn in the side. Yeah, okay. Um, I would pray that as you have faith in God, let me put it this way. Some people read the Bible to try to control God, not to fall in love with God. I'll use myself for an example. When I first fell in love with the Lord, I would read the word to try to control the Lord's response to me. Like tithing. I am a winner by nature. I love winning. When I was in high school, I didn't smoke, drink, or sleep around. You wanna know why? Because that's not winning to me. I wasn't even a Christian. I just wanted to be a winner. I, I, I didn't like, like I'm gonna go, oh, say yeah, man, I'm so drunk right now. That wasn't cool to me. I, I, I have a winning mindset. That's, I just wanna win in everything. So I became a Christian. All right, so if I tithe, I give God my 10%, he's gonna give me a ton more. So I remember starting tithing for the first time. And the first week I got Mariner's tickets for free. I was like, Jehovah Jireh, this works. <laughs> Hallelujah. Second week, tithe again. The first three weeks, best three weeks of my life to tithing. Second week I tithe. I um, walk up to um, my softball game after church. And you know, I was making only $1,000 a month. I was going to community college at the time and uh, I made $1,000 a month. And so $100 was like a billion dollars to me at that moment because I was paying for school, driving, every, you name it. And I remember like, oh man, the $100. Okay, here you go, God. And I remember coming uh, to um, softball and this guy who was our softball like coach um, gave me a bat for free. There's like a $300 bat. He goes, hey man, I just feel like I'm supposed to give you this and give me 120 bucks. And I was like, oh, I gave you 100. I got 120 and a bat. Man, I'm loving this tithing thing right now, God. Winning, you know? And so... Week three, do it again, I get Sonics tickets. It's an amazing three weeks. Four months goes by, I'm tithing. Somebody knocks my window out, breaks my window. Steals stuff out of my car. And I remember like, hold on a second, God. Your word says that if I tithe, I'm gonna get tickets. Where are my tickets? Somebody's gonna pay for my window now, right, God? I'm tithing. And I remember I was tithing to control God's blessing in my life. And then also other things I would do. I remember if I, okay, God, if I'm good enough this week, then you're gonna bless me in ministry. You're gonna promote me faster than other people. I remember this, it was in the locker room when I was in playing hoops, but it was, life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% how you respond. But in Christianity, I feel like we're trying to control the 90% and only give God 10%. God, I'm gonna control the 90 and then I'll let you respond to the 10%. And what God's saying, man, if you could actually respond to just what I do, because life really is about what God is doing in your life and how you respond to it, it will be a different kind of faith journey. So when a week falls in your lap, God, I trust this is your plan. God, I prayed and it didn't happen. Well, I'm trusting that it's still gonna happen, but you're delaying it for some reason. On this side of the grave or, 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 or on this side of the grave or, or, or in heaven, I'm trusting you, God. Faith doesn't give up. Faith surrenders to the plan, though. Faith does not give up. Keep praying. Keep praying for healing. Keep praying for reconciliation. Keep praying for the prodigal. Keep praying. But don't try to control God's calendar. Just say, God, I trust your process. I trust you. I'm almost done. I lied, Lord. Forgive me. I'm not almost done. Um, 
Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, uh, uh, is the come of the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have never died. Stop. Mary and Martha say the same thing to Jesus. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus to Martha says, I'm the resurrection. He gives her truth. What does Jesus do with Mary here? This is a profound moment of how Jesus shows us how to minister to a broken world. Ready? When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. And that Greek word wept is he wailed with them. He cried with them. Wow. My uh, next point is Jesus brings clarity on how to uh, minister to a broken world. He brings clarity on how to uh, minister to a broken world. This is confusing me. Same statement, two different responses. He gives one truth and the other one tears. And I believe this is Jesus showing us how to minister to a broken world. Can I tell you something real quick? A ministry with only tears is not a ministry of Jesus at all. A ministry with only truth is not a ministry of Jesus at all. A ministry with truth and tears is the ministry of Jesus. Can can I unpack this thought with you real quick? Um, I was preaching on Jesus and religions uh, a handful of years ago. And uh, this lady came up to me and she did not like what I said about Mormonism. I basically was just unpacking uh, the beliefs of other religions so people could understand that Jesus is different, that the gospel is different. And and so, you know, Eastern philosophy talks about death isn't even a thing because you just get absorbed. So Eastern philosophy has this thought. And that's not about Mormonism. Mormonism isn't the same as Jesus. It's it's a different book. Jesus is a brother. There's three different levels of heaven. You earn your way. They they, they take the power from the cross. I mean, it is not Christianity. Mormons don't go to heaven. It's just, it's it's a life from the enemy. And this lady came up to me. I mean, right after service, she came and I was like, hey, love the message, huh? Let's talk about it. It's one of those moments, and she's like, how dare you say that Mormon people go to hell? I was like, no, I, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. It's in the Bible. I'm not an editor. I'm just a messenger girl. You can talk to my boss. You know, it was like one of those moments. You know what I'm saying? I was, I, was, I, was like, I was like, can I get you the customer service number? You know, I was like trying to get out of there. And, uh, and so she was like, she's like, how dare you? I mean, what are you thinking? And I was like, well, can I? And so then I was like, okay, let's, I'm, I'm going to try my best to pastor this moment. So I remember asking, okay, so let me ask you a question. What about a religion that is in a tribe in a third world country that sacrifices people? Is that religion okay with you? Are they still going to heaven? Well, no, that's a terrible religion. Okay, what about this religion? Is this religion okay with you? Well, yeah, they should go to heaven. Okay, what about this? No, that's a terrible religion. And I told her, I said, so whatever you feel is right is the right religion, basically. And basically what she's saying is my tears will move me And whatever my tears lead me, that's where I'm going and that's where I'm gonna tell you where to go. A ministry of tears will lead people in death and darkness. I'll tell you right now, you can see it in politics. Just, there's there's two sides. I'll see people and there are hurting people around the world and they'll just wanna speak truth about something and not have any tears about that situation. I'm like, our hearts should break for these people. No matter what your stance is politically, you should just, just weep over what's going on in the world right now. And then there's some people who just share the tears but don't share any truth about what can happen if this happens. And then the ministry of truth. I have not met one person yet in my life, not saying nobody's been uh, saved this way, but the ministry of truth. 
That, have you seen those people on the side of the roads? They're not as around as much around here, at least, but in LA, they're, they're around. It's just this, turn or burn. You're going to hell if you don't have Jesus. Just truth, but no tears. I noticed me like, you know what? The guy makes a good point. Turn or burn, I'm in, sold. A ministry of truth doesn't, and if I'm being honest, some people, if I, went, if I said this from the platform right now, Mormons do not believe in Jesus and they're going to hell. Some of you are going to go like, he's preaching the real gospel tonight. Hey, you like the ministry of truth, don't you? Your heart should break for Mormon people. You, you, you should cry over people who heard that gospel first. I, I was a young kid who didn't know the Lord. I started going to Mormon church first. You want to know why? Because they were nicer to me. They had a basketball court. Just keeping it real. But then I started going. I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> so how do we have a ministry of tears and truth? Jesus gave truth to Martha because that's exactly what she needed that moment. And then Jesus gave tears to Mary because that's exactly what she needed. I'm going to show you how we can do it. I believe I, believe I have an answer. You ready? And it's from the Bible. So how do we minister a broken world? We're, and a lot of you are like, well, I'm not Jesus. This is impossible. I, I'm not omniscient. I'm not all knowing. Like, how am I going to know when to cry with somebody and when to give them truth? Like, somebody's crying. He's the resurrection. Oh, wrong one. Sorry. Ah, I'm going to cry with you. Like, how do I know? Can I just tell you something real quick? There's two things Jesus gives us in, 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 in his word that like our promises. One is he says he's going to send the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be led by the Spirit. So you do have an ace up your sleeve. It's called discernment. Some of you just need to pray more sometimes. God, I'm going to talk to this person. Hey, what should I do? So that, that, that's part of it. But the second one's very practical. So I just gave you the spiritual answer. Now let me give you the practical answer. I, um, so I go through my EOE thing. My throat's on fire. It hurts to breathe. hurts to eat. Um, I'm very depressed at this time. Um, I call the doctor uh, office and I basically you know, call a doctor that's going to go down and check my office out. I don't know what I have. And I basically say, hey, um, can I get an appointment? Um, uh, it's hard to even swallow food right now. My office was smaller than a straw. Like the, the camera couldn't even get into my esophagus when they went to go check it out because EOE can literally have your esophagus scar up and shut basically. So it was, it was really painful and inflamed. And, and so uh, I call him like, hey, can I get in the doctor's office? And Lay's like, yeah, we can get you in on like March 15th. And I was like, uh, it's December 1st. Like that's December, January, February. That's, that's too long. Three months, 15 days. And I was like, can you tell the doctor, like, I, I, I can barely swallow, and this, I'm, I'm in like, pure pain, like, it, it, it hurts. Okay, you know, let me check with him then. Okay, I'll check with him. And she's like, yeah, that, you should get in quicker. I was like, oh, okay, I want her over, that's good. And she, she calls me back, and I say, yeah, doctor said March 15th, he'll see you then, and you'll just talk about it, and then I'll get you into your procedure. I was like, well, when would that be? Oh, probably a couple more weeks. So you're telling me in April? Yeah, sorry, we're just super busy. Click, call another doctor. Hey, um, here's what I have. Okay, you know what? And this is the first time I ever heard it. Sounds, I, th I thought I had something else wrong with my esophagus. You know, of course the doctor, hey, we got to check for everything, biopsies for, you know, cancer, which I didn't have. But um, he goes, this sounds like it might be EOE. I was like, what's EOE? He starts describing it to me. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's all the things I have. He goes, he goes we're going to get you in next week. I remember Skyping. I was like, oh. So at first I'm like, okay, he's getting me in. So I remember going in, having the procedure. And this is literally afterwards, I want to ask the doctor. For, for, and I'll be honest, the first question was this. Because he said the C word. I was like, do I have cancer? No, no, you don't. He's like, you got this, this, this. I got to write up. I'll give it to you. I'm like, and I want to talk to him. I want to talk to him for just five minutes. So, so what's, what's going to happen? Am I going to be okay? He just says, we got a piece of paper. It's good. You, you'll, you'll, here, I'm going to give you a piece of paper on the way out. You'll, okay. And I remember like telling the nurse, can I talk to him one more time? He's pretty busy. I just, one more time, please. I was like, so what, what, like, what do I have to do? He's like, I'm going to give you some medicine. Okay, 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 bye, bye, bye. Super busy. Third doctor that's going to go on the journey with me. I, Get on there, and I have all my questions because I know he's going to be in a rush. 
It's at least what, that's been my experience at least. Dr. Lodwick, by the way, if you ever, oh, Dr. Lodwick. <sighs> Sit down, this is what Dr. Lodwick does. <laughs> tell me your story, Tyler. That's how it starts. He's literally, tell me your story. I looked at your report. How you doing? My story? Well, I grew up in Puyallup, Washington. <laughs> and I told him, I said, I woke up one night spitting acid. And it was really scary. And then I didn't know what to eat, so I started eating all these things. And just told my story of where I've been. I said, here's where I'm at now. I'm on this medicine that's been helping out a little bit, but it's not completely gone. And he goes, oh. He goes, Tyler, why don't you know something? People rest when they breathe, and you couldn't rest with breath. People rest and have a bite, and you couldn't rest and eat. This is more emotionally devastating than you probably know. I think it was, Dr. Lodwick. <laughs> I, f- I, felt, I felt seen. I remember getting off this meeting with Dr. Lodwick, and I was like, if Jesus is a doctor, he's Dr. Lodwick. <laughs> Catch this real quick, church. The reason why you can't discern if you're supposed to give somebody truth and tears is because you just haven't done this yet. Tell me your story. Wow. Tell me your life. Yeah. Mary's the same one who washed Jesus' feet with her hair. He knew Martha's story. He knew Mary's story. Oh, he knew their story. He knew the practical things about their life. So he knew exactly how to minister to them. Wow. Some of you, you just want to minister with tears to people that need truth. And some of you just want to minister with truth to people need tears. Start and get to know people's story. Can I just tell you something real quick? This is my prayer. If you are a teacher in the school system, kids would say this, if Jesus was a teacher, he'd be that teacher. We got people like that. Mike Teasley, what's up, baby? Where's Mike Teasley? I love you, man. Come on, we need light in the school systems. Best in the biz. If you're a business owner and you run your business, maybe people say, if Jesus was a business owner, he'd be like Harry. Harry Marquez, I love you, buddy. You're a pillar. Love you and Gemma. If you are a police officer. May people say, Jesus was a police officer, he'd be in. Can I give you a shout out, Brian? Much love, baby. In this house, you're gonna have an opportunity and it is gonna be the long play, but it is the right play. Jesus brought clarity how to minister to a broken world and it is with truth and tears, not one or the other, it is both, but it will take all of us. Does that sound good? Uh, let, me, let me finish with this. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. It's an interesting thing. The Jews said, ooh, wow, Jesus really loved this guy. Why did they say that? I wanna I want read to you real quick. But some of them said, could he not have opened the eyes of the blind man? He, he could open the eyes of the blind man, Oof, but couldn't keep this man from dying? Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. We, sometimes... To know what Jesus loves, you need to know what he hates. Let me put it that way. So, so this deeply moved statement in the NIV, translations as in general fall short of the Greek. Okay, so love, well, you see love in translations, but it could be agape, eros, storge, phileo, different kinds of um, Greek words for love, of course. I could go on with serving. There's, there's different levels of Greek words for serving. Diakonos is the highest level. Uh, offenses, you know, scandalon. There's just different levels of offenses and they give pictures. It's, the Greek's amazing. Well, deeply moved, any Greek scholar automatically knows what this Greek word means. 
But the translator is like, how do I write this in a Bible? Because what this word means is to snarl. Ah! To be moved. It even says to murmur. Ah! And it says that twice, Jesus walks up to the tomb and he's, ah! And they're like, whoa, he really loved that guy. You gotta picture this real quick. Jesus is weeping and snarling at the grave. Is he mad at people for crying? No, he's not mad at them for crying. Is he mad at people that they're broken up over this? No, he's not mad at that. Is he mad that Lazarus should have stayed? Lazarus, you should have stayed awake. Why didn't you, why'd you die on me there, buddy? He's mad at death. He hates death. Bible says we don't fight against flesh and blood, but principalities of this unseen world. And if you could just see this picture real quick, it's almost like a boxer going to fight your enemy for you. And he sees him in the corner and he hates him. He hates him for what he's done to mankind. He hates him for what he's done to his, oh, his best friend, Lazarus. He hates him. So he gets in the ring. And if I'm being honest, there is a righteous anger and he snarls with, Rah! it's almost like a lion snarling at, at, at an enemy trying to hurt its pride. The Bible says in Ephesians that you are a masterpiece, that we are a masterpiece. It would be like this painting on the wall and somebody comes up and just sets it on fire. I'd be mad, I, I, I gave everything to that painting. I love that painting, why would you just set it on fire? That person would be an enemy to me. C.S. Lewis says that if you don't wanna be hurt, just don't love anybody. You know, take your heart, put it in a thing, lock it up, you'll never be hurt. But if you, you wanna experience love, get ready to be hurt. I would submit to you the one that loves the most, Jesus, is being hurt the most at this moment by this. Jesus is snarling at death at this moment. Now, one of the scholars put it just so poetically. I don't know what the conversation was between the growls from Jesus, the, the ah, to Jesus. But one of the scholars said simply this, is you gotta understand something, that you could almost hear death saying, if you touch Lazarus, I get to touch you. Oh, if you bring him to life, well then you're gonna taste death. Can I tell you something real quick? Jesus come to, came to interrupt this funeral, but he started his own funeral. Jesus came to stop death, but started death for himself. I'll show you, it says this in John, and Jesus knows this, he knows what he's doing. This, clarity that he's bringing to the religious people, the clarity he's bringing to the enemy. Hey, I'm not messing around. I'm here to destroy death. I'm here to knock death out. I'm here to tell death you have no place. It says in John, uh, let me read you the verse, John 11:53. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. His funeral started that day. Let me, let me, let me read you some more real quick. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked at them and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped in strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes. Can you see, do you see the picture here? Jesus says, take off the grave clothes. I'm gonna give him my robe of righteousness and I'm gonna put on the grave clothes. Let's start the process uh, ah, to death. The things that are destroying mankind, sin and darkness, ah, take it off. This is my last clarity I wanna give you real quick. Jesus gives us clarity on what he wants to do in your life when he saves you from death. He wants you to take the grave clothes off. He wants you to take the grave clothes off. He wants people to help you take the grave clothes off. I'm gonna finish with a simple illustration and then we're gonna pray. Um, I don't know when I stink. I'll come home from golf, just sit on the couch, 
sit next to Rachel and be like, ooh, you stink. You smell like a golf course, you smell. Oh, dang, I, I thought, I'm gonna go shower. That's a good idea, Tyler. Okay, okay, okay. What happens in Christianity, if I can just be honest, judgmental Christians stink. Uh, unforgiving Christians stink. Uh, lukewarm Christians stink. Um, self-righteous Christians stink. Oh, let, judgmental Christians stink. And what I mean by that is Christians who don't know somebody and just critique them. What's sad is a lot of churches will become self-righteous and so the whole church stinks and not just the Christian. It just stinks. So how do you not stink anymore? My wife is more gracious than I am. I get frustrated with silly people very fast. Just like the ace thing, I was like, oh my gosh, you know. And where she's like, you, you gotta work on your responses. You told me you're gonna work on responses. Moses, he didn't respond well, you know. My wife's essence in responding, it's a great essence. Mine stinks. Selfish people stink. Get around somebody generous and you're gonna see how much you stink. If you're somebody who's around a lot of people who critique things all the time, you gotta find some other people who don't critique but celebrate people. And you realize your critiquing stinks. Jesus didn't die on a cross so you could become a critic. Uh, I, um, I have an overseer, great pastor, Chad Veach, shout out. He watches sometimes. And people will say to me, because they're fixers and not feelers. Uh, they, I don't know about that Zoe church and Chad. I mean, too glitzy and glamour. I don't know if they're preaching the full gospel. I don't know. And I just want to go, ah! Ah! you don't know Chad. I know Chad. He met with me oh, every week for a season. Taught me to follow the word. Taught me how to uh, devo. And for seven years, I saw him at a Starbucks with kid after kid after kid reading their Bible, teaching kids to love Jesus. This guy doesn't miss services. It's funny, the people who go to church twice a month critique the pastors that give their whole life away to the church. You stink! Mission Church, we're not going to stink. We're, we're going to get around people who smell better in other areas than we do. And they're going to help you take the grave clothes off. Will you bow your heads with me? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.